What's up, everybody, and welcome to Rock Video Rental. I am Brandon. With me, as always, is Caleb. And Caleb, what is going on? Not a whole lot. How about yourself? Feeling feel a little bit better? You were under the weather the other day? A little bit. Um, I mean, all things out in the open, my wife and I tested positive for COVID. <laughs> so it's been a pretty rough week. Um, I don't know what's worse having COVID or having COVID and two kids under the age of three (laughs) and having to deal with them at the same time and no one can help you out because they live in the house with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I would rather try to go through COVID solo than that. (laughs) With no help whatsoever. (laughs) But now we're on the mend. So that's good here. Yeah. Uh, so you've been watching anything interesting? Uh, not so much this week. Uh, been a busy week for me. D- diving more into uh, Rick and Morty, though. Uh, like I said, that's kind of what I picked up after um, Family Guy ended. And it's I kind of concluded something after because I'm I've gotten through one season. I don't know if I finished the second season yet, though, but it's interesting because, I mean, basically with, you know, those cartoon comedy shows, you can get away with anything you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but Family Guy, for the most part, I mean, bases it off of like, oh, this is supposed to be American fa- an American family. So there's a little bit of reality there. But the fun thing about Rick and Morty, once you get used to it, is that they're from the very beginning they're just like there are no rules and we will do whatever we want yep (laughs) it's kind of the way that um south park is yeah and the way that regular show is like you never know which direction it's going in Mm -hmm. yeah i I have not watched enough of regular show to be able to say and gosh it's been forever since i've watched south park so i (laughs) kind of forgot about that uh so, but yeah, that that's it for me. Um, no, didn't fit any movies in this week. But what about yourself? Gearing up for Christmas? Oh yeah, we've been watching quite a bit of stuff. Um, I guess before Thanksgiving, I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, then I watched. You know, after Thanksgiving, we started getting into Christmas stuff, and we've watched man so much stuff. Uh, trading places that was a first time watch for me yeah i haven't seen that movie I, i've seen a bits and pieces when it was on tv but i've not seen that whole movie yeah and a great cast and i mean dan Aykroyd, eddie murphy jamie lee curtis oh i didn't realize she was in there yeah now let's just say you get to see a lot of jamie lee curtis in that one <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll just go that far um I also watched uh, Christmas Vacation. Of course. And, you know, my kids, my oldest, she's really into Christmas and wants to watch, like, all the Christmas cartoons. So we watched, like, Rudolph and Frosty and all those. Um, I've seen Charlie Brown Christmas probably about four times already. <sighs> nice. Uh, she's been really into that. But other than that, I mean, just a couple episodes of Wife Swap here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing like... Nothing too amazing, I guess. But 
I tell you, I did watch a Christmas classic. The Christmas classic? <laughs> Definitely in your book, I'll say. <laughs> but yeah, do you want to jump right into it? Let's do it. Let's jump off the building tied to a fire hose <laughs> and get into it. We thank you one and all and wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. But a team of terrorists. You want money? What kind of terrorists are you? Who said we were terrorists? Have their own holiday plans. And I'm telling you, you just got to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. But the one thing they didn't plan on was New York cop. John McLean. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee ki mother... I want and you'll have it. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, do I sound like I'm ordered a pizza? Come to Papa, honey. Only if New Jersey counts. What does he think he's doing? Good job. Here's the artillery on us. You appear to Mr. the police. It's him. <laughs> he's an easy guy to like. Welcome to the party, pal. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die Hard. So, movie of the week and starting the series for the month is the 1988 action movie, Christmas action movie, <laughs> Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. Uh, the plot for it is an NYPD officer tries to save his wife and several others taken hostage by German terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nagatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Uh, the cast for this, we got Bruce Willis as John McClane, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, Bonnie Betalia as Holly McClane, Reginald Vell Johnson as Sergeant Powell, Paul Gleason um, coming back after we watched <laughs> The Breakfast back. Club, <laughs> playing another jerk character as um, Deputy Dwayne Robinson. Uh, Devereaux White as Argyle, William Atherton as Thornburg, and Hart Bachner as Ellis. Um, man, I'm trying to think how many times I've seen Die Hard. It's, it's not like I haven't seen it like lots of times. It is a movie that I always enjoy, but it's Do one of those I have to be like in the mood to watch because it's like two hours. It's over two hours long. What? There is no mood for Die Hard. There's just like <laughs> taking in Die Hard. If you're in a bad mood, it puts you in a good mood. If you're in a good mood, it makes you in a better mood. It makes yeah. the world go round. <laughs> I will say that for an action movie, it does have a few slow parts in it. Yeah. Um, because it's I mean, also it's, a Christmas movie. It's so they're... Got, a, got a slower pacing to it, but it does, you know, it does pay off. So I will give that. In the parts where there is action, it is pretty tense at times. All the acting is really good. I mean, we're kind of showing our cards here early, but um, yeah, it's just 
you know, people always argue, is this a Christmas movie or not a Christmas movie? And, you know, I used to be in the boat where it's like, oh, it's not really a Christmas movie. It's a movie that takes place during Christmas. But I don't know. There's the more you watch it, the more like you see the different references and stuff in it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we'll get into some of those, but. Yeah, I'm kind of now on to, yeah, it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> and another one that people just now started talking about as a Christmas movie is Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> Christmas with the Glovers. Rigs. <laughs> Get too old for this. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, I mean, if you've never seen Die Hard and you somehow you've lived under a rock, <laughs> um, you know, basically, we get Bruce Willis as John McClane. He is coming from New York to Los Angeles to visit his. Is she like in a her his estranged wife? Like are they separated? Uh, well, they they touched on it a little bit where they kind of dance around it some. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they said how long it took, but they were in New York. She had a job opportunity in L.A., and so instead of him moving out there, he stuck with his job and. When he was talking to uh, Argyle, he was essentially saying, you banked on her not being successful and coming back to New York, but it seems like the latter happened. So they never really say how long of a period of time that was, though. So Yeah, there's some friction in there, we'll say at least. Yeah, I kind of want to say under a year maybe, though, because I would feel like if she was out there for two Christmases, he would have been out there for one before that. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we get to see him going to Los Angeles and, you know, he talks to Argyle. You mentioned the, uh, the limo driver and they quickly become friends and, you know, it's the subtle things in this because Bruce Willis in this movie, like John McClane is just the everyman. Like he's not really like this roided up big, strong, insanely capable action star in this. Yeah, he's kind of just like the normal, you know, New York police um, officer. Yeah, I think, and hopefully, I'm not stealing something from later, but I think they specifically kind of targeted something like that. Like they didn't want a big action star. Yeah. So, um, you know, we get to see like the subtle things with that because you know when Argyle picks him up, he's like, "Man, it's my first job," and. And John says to him, he's like, it's the first time I've ever been in a limo. And then the next scene, they show him and he's sitting in the front seat with Argyle talking to him <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah. of riding in the back. And like, that's it's just something I noticed this time. And it just made me think of it like, that's kind of funny. Cause I guess I never paid attention to that dialogue at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, they, live, they arrive at the Nakatomi Plaza and, um, you know, he goes in, tries to find his wife and. It's just crawling with people. It's it's an enormous building. Mm. Uh, and we get to meet some of the characters along the way. You know, we get to meet Ellis, who's like this pompous salesman for prick. the Nakatomi um, company. And yeah, he's a total prick. Chad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we get to see like the owner of the company. And there's like thousands of other people thrown in there too. And then we get to meet... um. John's wife, Holly, who's also going by her maiden name. Yeah. Which made me 
wonder if they were like separated or something. Yeah, they definitely left that up for interpretation. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, once this, all this goes on and then they're, they're having like an argument and everything. And she like leaves and he's got to like get ready for this party. So he's kind of like left in the bathroom by himself in their room. And uh, it's then when we start hearing like gunfire. And then, you know, his like cop instincts uh, set in. Because here comes the Germans. Yeah, the Germans. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we get to be like Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman. And he's, you know, the the leader of the group. And just, like, incredibly intelligent. And just super cold, like, I don't know, like, almost a perfect villain. Yeah, well, his his voice too is so unique that it set it up so well. Yeah. So Alan uh, Rickman. <laughs> which is funny because he's an Englishman playing a German. <laughs> but uh yeah, he, I guess he's just got kind of one of those accents though in this that it's kind of hard to nail down. Mm-hmm. Like they they tell you numerous times that he's German. In case but you he doesn't forgot, necessarily he's German. Yeah. By the by, his name is Hans, <laughs> and there's Carl with a K. Um, as long as there wasn't a guy named Klaus. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's from then on where um, John's just like trying to survive, and then he realizes, you know, it's like I got to try to get help. He's trying to get hold of the cops. Um, and he calls, calls the cops and we get, they send like one guy over. Nobody believes him. Anything's going on. They send one guy over who's Carl Winslow from, uh, family matters. Yeah. And I'm going to apologize right now. If you guys hear a train in the background, (laughs) because I live close to train tracks and for some reason they have to go by at 11 o'clock at night. Here comes the A train. (laughs) Um, now one thing with that, I'm trying to remember is they cut the phone line. So did he get the call out before? Oh no, he was on the radio. That's what was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he pulled a radio off one of the terrorists. Um, so we get to see him like going around through different parts of the building, you know, through elevators, through air ducts and you know, all this other stuff. And it's, you get to like study the building a little bit. you can see different pieces of it. And that's kind of the other things too. I, I remember from this movie a lot is like how elaborate and how huge this building actually is. And you get a, a real feel of the size of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And during the, that whole time too, is when the terrorists are going um, or the kidnappers are, I don't know necessarily what you want to call them. The criminals, bad guys, yeah. uh, Germans are going the through. <laughs> they're going through the whole building and like setting up for their whole scheme and plot. And they keep mm-hmm. that kind of a secret for a while, which um, I remember kind of the first time watching it, really trying to figure out what exactly was going on. Yeah. You know, and slowly like John's picking off these guys one by one. 
Um, and he's the whole time he's got communication to the outside with the police through um, Sergeant Powell. And mm. he's like the only one that he'll talk to, you know, because the guy in charge, Deputy Robinson, tries to take over. And he's like, he's like, who the hell are you? He's like, put Powell back on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then the whole time, too, we get to see the cops like trying to like get in there and rescue hostages as well. And everything they do just like literally blows up in their face. <laughs> <laughs> like they try to send that big RV in with a SWAT team and you know Gruber's terrorist group like just blows it up with a an RPG mm-hmm. um, which that was always funny because whenever Robinson the uh, police guy whatever uh, yeah I couldn't remember what his classification was but he's deputy deputy there we go I was looking for the word Um, whenever he talked to McLean he was always like chewing him out he's just like you need to get out of our way, blah, 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 blah. And then Robinson sends in his men and gets like half a dozen killed or more. Yeah. And McLean's the one who's killing the terrorists and throwing them out of the building. But Robinson is the one who's actually getting other people killed. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, however, I guess, however, that works for you. <laughs> oh, man. Then, um, you know, we get kind of a turning point in the movie where uh, Ellis tries to, like, make a negotiation with Hans. He's talking to him, and he's like, the guy that is knocking off everybody, he's like, I know his name. It's like, I can give him to you. He's like, him and I go way back. And, you know, Hans gets on the radio with john and he's like i got a a friend of yours here with you and ellis is trying to pretend like they're best friends and um john just like you i don't know this guy just met him tonight and like ellis is a pompous idiot and doesn't realize that john's like trying to save his life and also he's high on drugs oh yeah Yeah, well, I mean, it was the 80s. He was snorting Coke, of course. But, uh, and drinking a Coke. <laughs> but, you know, of course, Ellis is trying to stick to his story that, like, Hodge just blows him away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of where things start ramping up again. And we, there's actually, one of the scenes I always forget about is when Hans and John meet face-to-face. Okay. And, you know, John's not quite aware of who he is, and Hans knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, Hans starts playing like the victim, like, oh my gosh, please don't shoot me. Don't shoot me. Like he drops his accent and everything. Yeah. Cause there's kind of that moment there. Um, cause I always distinctly remember that the first time I watched, and then of course you remember any time after that. But, I paid really close attention this time to be like, okay, so John doesn't ever see Hans before that. Right. And so I'm paying attention and, you know, he, he, uh, John tries shooting at the terrorists and, um, Hans is always like around the corner or taking cover somewhere. So yeah, John never did see him. 
until that moment. So outside of his voice, he had no idea. Yeah. But then, you know, Hans tries to pull the double cross on him and he pulls a gun and that John gave him and he tries to shoot at him and John's like, oh, no bullets. It's like, you think I'm that stupid? <laughs> uh, and then he, you know, starts to realize who he is and And then backup shows up. Oh yeah, Klaus, also yeah. pronounced also pronounced Claus, <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> and then we get uh, John escaping, and then he's like, "What was his, what was Hans doing up on the roof?" And like, what was he doing on the roof? And you know, at the same time, they're sending some of the, the hostages up there because Hans makes a like a ransom. Not with Mel Gibson, but uh, with the cops saying, like, release all these people. And it's just a bunch of BS because he's like, release these people from Canada, this Canadian prison. And like, Carl looks at Hans, like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, I saw it in Newsweek <laughs> or something <laughs> like that, or Time Magazine or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, they agree to do it. It's like, send hostages up to the roof and we'll come get them with the choppers. And, uh, John goes up there because he's like, "Why was Hans on the roof? Like, what is the point of this?" He goes up there and it's like full of C four. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, he's gonna blow it up!" And he starts like firing a gun, get trying to get the hostages out of there. And of course, the cops think that John is one of the terrorists, so they start firing back at him. Yeah, that was that was a dumb move by John. Yeah. So, and he knows that the roof's gonna blow up, and he can't like <laughs> stay because. He's trying to get the host- he's trying to get the hostages out of there. He can't stay because he's afraid he's gonna get shot and it's gonna blow up. So he's like last resort thing. He goes against the fire hose and ties it around his waist on the roof. And he's like, What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> he's like, This is stupid. And then he like jumps off and everything explodes. Yeah, that um, was one of my favorite things, uh, is when he would talk to himself because I'm just like, I do that all the time. So <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> me too. And you know, he jumps off the the building explodes and he you know gets himself into another part of the building by blowing out the windows and swinging in. Uh and it's to mention this time too that like this whole time John's been running around with dress pants, a tank top, and no shoes or socks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hans has his goons go up there and blow all the glass in a computer room. So then, you know, John's got to walk around barefoot on it. He gets, like, tons of glass on his feet. Uh, and he gets, like, beat up throughout this movie. And you can see, like, that white shirt he has starts turning brown. Mm-hmm. And just like blood covered and all this stuff, and it's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. No, I. Uh, oh man, I always cringe with that that glass stuff because. Uh, yeah. w- one of my jobs, I, I had to work with glass on a pretty regular basis, uh, but and I never. Uh, I got cut a couple times, but just like, oh man, I, you you know what it can do. Like mm-hmm. I've stepped on glass before and, you know, all this other stuff. And it just, ah, oh, like I cringe at it. So stepping on glass like he did, which of course, I mean, was, they 
faked it to make it look real but you just imagine it yeah it's it's incredibly effective because he's like sitting in the bathroom pulling big chunks of glass out his out his feet Ugh. yeah and you know the whole time he's talking on the radio to powell and you know it's kind of this point too where john's making his way down going after hans he takes out nearly like every single goon it's like one left with hans and this is when hans figures out that john's wife is there takes her hostage and we get um like a standoff mm-hmm. and it ends up with you know john laying his gun down because hans has got his gun drawn on holly and uh all of a sudden you know john yells yells to holly to run she gets out of the way he pulls up a gun that he had taped to his back off Shoots the goon in the head, and then he shoots Hans, which makes him stagger back. And uh, somehow, after being shot, he still holds on to. <laughs> so holds on to Holly. To Holly, and they're like struggling at the edge of the building, and uh, Hans is trying to pull his gun up to shoot John, and um. He gets like let go and falls off the building and to his death. Then we get to see like everybody outside and um you know Powell and John get to meet. They're talking to each other and then like the last goon comes out of nowhere with a gun, tries to fire, and then Powell like blows him away. Mm-hmm. And then that's the end of the movie. right off into the sunrise (laughs) yeah it's kind of a interesting thing there too at the end because powell talks about how he's basically like a desk jockey now because you had a traumatic experience where he accidentally shot like a was he say a 13 year old uh a kid i don't know if he said the specific name but yeah it was a kid shot a kid because he was like wasn't answering him and he was in a hoodie it was like that. it was dark, yeah, he said, and he gave some details, but yeah, and he's basically been like traumatized after that, so he hasn't fired his weapon, and then at the end, he has to blow that guy away. Mm. It's just been revoked <laughs> by Carl well, Winslow, yeah, I remember the first time that that uh the last goon uh popped out there at the end and totally caught me off guard. Yeah. Uh especially since the dude was like hanging by the neck from a chain for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow he's still alive. <laughs> it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Oh gosh. So um interesting things in this movie that you noticed. You got anything like or even just like quotes and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, well w- the one uh, I was actually going to try to drop it earlier, but I mis- missed my opportunity uh, when we were having a conversation about something. Um, when he throws, uh, when John McClane throws the terrorist out the window and it hits uh, Powell's car, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Welcome to the party, pal." <laughs> so that's that's always a classic one. Uh, see you at the party, Richter. That's what it makes me think of. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, 
Yeah, and a little bit before that, there's a line that cracks, cracks me up because John's like watching Powell drive around, and he's like, he's like, who in the hell is driving this car, Stevie Wonder? <laughs> <laughs> no, Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> Does he know that you raided his wardrobe? Exactly. Oh man. Well, one thing that um always kind of slips by, and I. I usually forget it until I start watching the movie is that dumb um, newscaster who's anchor or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a minor part of the movie, but it, it is kind of funny because it actually pops up in the next one too um, that he comes back, but yeah. William Atherton. Mm-hmm. I always think of biodome when I see him. Oh yeah. Cause he was a bad guy. <laughs> Noah I think Faulkner. I think I could be crazy, but I think he was in a movie that my mom had me watch when I was a young. Is it young, Biodome? No. But have you ever heard of, I think it was Bicentennial? It's like a. No, I don't know. Bicentennial maybe, Man? Maybe it was somebody else that looked like him. Hmm. Oh, Centennial. Yeah. Not oh, Bicentennial. Okay. I don't. Still hasn't seen it. It was a TV miniseries, um, and uh, he was in it. Right. So that, that's how I always remember from when he was younger. Oh, uh, so other things that I remember is just like uh, Hans's kind of like dry, dark sense of humor, where he's talking to like the owner of the company, and he just like blows him away, and he comes back to the group and. People were just like, where's such and such? And I was just like, he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> it's like, make no illusions. We are in charge. <laughs> like, that was what it made me really laugh this time. Uh, yeah. It just like his whole interaction with um, Ellis, where Ellis is like, Hans, booby. <laughs> and like, Hans just looks at him like, you are a complete idiot. Yeah. He Ellis was an easy character to hate. Oh yeah, for sure. He's a complete and utter douche. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, one thing that I thought about though too, because you were talking about the dark sense of humor of Hans, is just like, I mean, you you start learning more about John McClane and how he's like a no BS kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but when he killed the first terrorist and sent him down on the elevator, mm-hmm. it's just like how. Because you step back for a minute and be thinking from the perspective of the terrorists and being like, what the crap is going on? Because it's like, we're supposed to be the ones who are terrorizing people and like freaking people out and killing people. And here's a dead body, not only a dead body in the elevator, but then it says, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Like, who the- <laughs> He's got a Christmas hat on the, the dead body. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I'd be like, oh, man, dude, we're dealing with a psychopath just like ourselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's something. It's more something in the line of what uh, Riggs would have did in Lethal Weapon. Oh, for sure. Yeah, just complete loose cannon lunatic. Uh, it, You know, he talked about the times where he's ta- talking to himself. They cracked me up, too. Uh this is what I just kind of picked up this time, and it's such a little thing that it cracks me up. And I wonder if it was like, um, just improv, 
where he's running back down the stairs and he comes across that like service area where the somebody put up like a bunch of pages from like a hustler magazine or something like that at the centerfold and he stops for a second and like puts his hand on one of the girls and just goes girls (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it was like like he's happy to see him where he just like kisses his hand he's like girls (laughs) (laughs) i think he uh that was the second time he saw that yeah so i kind of like the the reaction i took from that was kind of like almost like a good luck charm like oh hey you know i'm not dead yet and here's this i'm like going back the same way that i came and so it's like maybe this is good luck yeah that and you know the building is such a huge maze that he was happy to see that he's in a place where he knew where he was at yeah kind of thing um that cracks me up and then we get you know some of the most famous lines in this movie where he's climbing through the vent yeah, and he's talking to himself, and he's like, "Come to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs." <laughs> and then he says, I, "He's like, now I know what a TV dinner feels like." Yeah, yeah, that is definitely one of the most classic. Oh, yeah, which that though, every time I see that part where he like jumps into the vent, you know, mm-hmm. the most absurd, like most absurd thing. Yeah, because he's like thirty stories up hanging by strap and then he jumps for the vent misses it but then grabs one like 10 feet below or something like that yeah like okay (laughs) your palms would be sweaty you would totally slip and you would fall to your death (laughs) his knees weak his knees weak arms are heavy (laughs) mom's spaghetti (laughs) (laughs) now i'm just picturing eminem in the role of john mcclain (laughs) Oh man. Uh I'm trying to think of some other oh I mean we gotta talk about the most famous line ever in this movie. Oh man, now I'm like confused. you know, through the whole movie, uh he's talking on the radio to Hans and oh. Hans keeps referring to him as cowboy. hmm And you know, he, he he drops the the now famous Yippie Kaye motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Which was hilariously edited in the tv broadcast but i got that in my trivia <laughs> yeah i can't remember what that was now but yeah, I'm sure yeah I'll, I'll tell you it's hilarious <laughs> and they talked about it in the goldbergs too because nice. they have a they have an episode of the goldbergs where they talk about watching die hard on christmas <laughs> but um i don't know some of the other things i remember too is just you know i talked about how crazy big the building is and all the interesting rooms uh, where he comes in that one room, it's got like this huge, like jungle in the middle of it. Yeah, uh, where the party was, right? Yeah, there's With like a waterfall. This, yeah, a waterfall and like all these huge plants and everything, and like a little koi pond or something. Yeah, I actually I went to a building that was kind of like that in Atlanta. It was this huge expo center that was like miles long. It was massive. It's like one of the biggest buildings I've ever been into. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and there's just like random spots like that, and it made me think of Die Hard. <laughs> nice. Yeah, some of those places are just crazy how they put the that stuff in there. Yeah. So I well, uh, I'm something that we kind of haven't brought up, but I mean, maybe it's just the the different places that we live in and everything. I mean, I've never 
lived in Chicago, LA, New York, or anything like that, but it's just like, and maybe it's common other places too. I haven't heard of it, but to have a Christmas party on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Like, does that happen uh, very much? Yeah. An office party. Yeah. An office Christmas party, like not a family Christmas party, not friend Christmas party, an office Christmas party. And I know they're just like, Oh, we closed a deal today. You're closing deals on Christmas Eve. <laughs> like what? Well, and if, like I worked for the Nakatomi company. I would just be like, I have to go to a company Christmas party on Christmas Eve. Are you kidding me? Like I would just be pissed off the whole time and feel yeah. like I had to go. And I would just be a, complete and utter jerk probably most of the night i mean the only time that would be okay is when you're basically single yeah single in like say like you live in la but your family lives in like ohio or something (laughs) (laughs) i'm not going back to ohio exactly that's why i picked ohio (laughs) (laughs) oh that was perfect Uh, <laughs> you got anything else interesting to bring up or you want to get into trivia? Uh I guess we you know we kind of talked about it the the acting's amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. all around. There there isn't anybody who's rough. Yeah, and they had uh some unique personalities too that um worked out well because uh crap, what was the guy's name? Theo, the terrorist nerd computer guy. Yeah. Um yeah, he he kind of had a unique personality, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cocky, kind of kind of uh, similar to Argyle but different. Cuz yeah. Argyle's a little cocky and like but he's more of like a guy that's like, oh man, I got this cool job and you know, just happy to be like on the first day of his job. Yeah. He keeps calling like his girl from the <laughs> He's like basically having a party waiting for John. Yeah. And then, um, so you had that personality. Um, I mean, you've got, you've got the cops, but then of course, Robinson was the cranky one. You had the FBI agents, which were unique and short lived. Yeah. It's just like, just like more FBI guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to bring that up, but then that one was just like, just like Saigon or whatever it was. Yeah. And the other guy's like, dude, I was in middle school or junior high. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. And then, you know, Sergeant Powell is just pretty similar to John. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both just kind of everyday, normal blue-collar guys. But, um, you know, John's a little more no-nonsense where you get the feeling like, you know, Powell's a little more, like, lovable, nice guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was funny though too. Bringing Powell up is at the end when John and Holly leave the building, and then they see each other, mm-hmm. uh, John and um, Powell, and they like know it's know who they are, yeah, with, without even seeing each other. And then they have like that weird embrace, and Holly's just standing there like, "What is going on? <laughs> who is what this guy is going on? <laughs> up here?" Uh, yeah, it's it's hilarious. I I guess I didn't ever really notice that, so I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again so I can see that reaction. Well, I mean, you kind of have to think about it because she has like no idea about Powell. Yeah, and I didn't think about that because you know because we know about him the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, 
I like the scenes too where Argyle like helps out Theo. He takes out the Theo. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, that was one thing that I kind of forgot this time around was how they were planning to escape with the whole uh, ambulance. Yeah. So. Yeah, I forgot about that too. Yeah, and you know, that's when, you know, Hans says something about it's kind of hard to steal, what do you say, like $450 million or something like that and get away with it unless they think you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. All right, so is it trivia next? It is trivia time. So, the fictional Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Fox. Hey. Uh, the company actually charged itself rent for the use of the then unfinished building. That's interesting move. Yeah. It's, it was probably like a legal thing they probably had to. So, the costume department actually had 17 tank tops in various stages of degradation on hand for Bruce Willis. Dude, I was wondering about that. Yeah. So in an article for the 30th anniversary of Die Hard, um, Bonnie Bedelia stated that the first thing she thinks of when someone mentions Die Hard is Alan Rickman because they came became close friends and had lunch together every day when they shot the movie. Oh, nice. she, she expressed how lovely and gentle Rickman was as a re- in real life. <laughs> Which is a complete contrast to what he is in a movie. So, uh, Bruce Willis actually received a then unheard of $5 million, um, which was approved by President of Fox, Rupert Murdoch. Wasn't that one of his first major roles? Yeah, but he was in the TV show Moonlighting, which was super popular in the 80s. Okay. So he was already like a big star. Okay. Uh, so the scene where Bruce Willis and Alan Merkin meet up is actually unrehearsed. And it was to create a greater feeling of spontaneity between the two actors. Oh, so did they, did you say that they got on the first take or? Uh, I'm assuming so. Hmm. Interesting. So Hart, Hart Bachner's line of Hans Booby. <laughs> was actually ad libbed, and Alan Rickman's quizzical reaction was genuine. <laughs> uh, so the scene where John McClane falls on the shaft was actually a mistake by the the stunt man. Uh, he was supposed to grab the first vent, but oh. he slipped and continued to fall. And he caught but, it. But the shot was used anyway. Um, it was edited to, edited together. With one where McLean grabs the next one down as he falls. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So much of the script was actually improvised due to the constant screenplay tweaks that were being made during filming. Hmm. Just kind of interesting. Uh, so when John runs through the glass shards in his bare feet, uh, after shot after Hans has men shoot him out, Bruce Willis is actually wearing special rubber shoes designed to look like his own bare feet. Oh. Uh, you could see this when he's like closely, like when he's 
running because it looks his feet look unnaturally large. Hobbit feet. Yeah. So ironically, Bruce Willis actually sneered at being an all-American hero by the head of a German terrorist because uh Bruce Willis is actually more German than most of the villains. Yeah, I did hear that at one because point. Because Alan Rickman is English. Uh Alexander Godunov was Russian and Bruce Willis was actually born in West Germany. Hmm. To an American father and a German mother. Here's an interesting thing. So Clint Eastwood originally owned the rights to this to the novel Nothing Lasts Forever, which is what the movie is based on. Mm-hmm. And he was planned to star in the film in the early 80s. Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> not a Clint Eastwood fan? Uh, no, I just think that it's it's great the way that it is. And so, oh, I agree. Uh, I, yeah. I, I almost kind of want to see the, the Clint Eastwood version, though. Because I love Clint Eastwood movies. And I always yeah. think he's great in everything he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's good. But I feel like there's a very big difference. Yeah. So. So the Hungarian title of this movie was Give Your Life, Give Your Life Expensive. <laughs> the title of the sequel is Your Life is Even More Expensive. And the third part, uh, third movie is called Life is Always Expensive. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's yeah, hilarious. What? Give your life expensive. <laughs> oh, here's some casting what ifs Richard Gere, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Arnold, Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson. Burt Reynolds and Michael Madsen were all considered for the role of John McClane, but they declined the role. I feel like the best one out of that group is Mel Gibson. Mel would have been good. Yeah. Harrison Ford probably would have been pretty good too. Yeah, I I feel like if you would take a mix of Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford, you like it, it, so. Um, how how am I trying to say this? Bruce Willis in the middle, and then on one end you have, um. Harrison Ford and on the other end you have Mel Gibson because like Mel Gibson gets you get some more of the crazy <laughs> but then Harrison Ford you get more of the serious action and then Bruce Willis is kind of like in the middle between them so I, honestly Bruce Willis did great so yeah if Mel would have been screaming give me back my wife <laughs> uh, so this was actually Alan Rickman's movie debut yeah, I, d- I did know that one. He did TV and stage performances before this. Mm-hmm. Man, dude, gosh. So, oh, that's like, that would be an acting dream right there. Mm-hmm. For that to be your debut film. Right. So, in the edited for TV version, Don Mc- John McClane's famous line was changed to yippee Kaye Melon Farmer. oh my gosh yeah yikes uh so one more casting thing we got sam neill turned down the role of hans gruber thank you (laughs) (laughs) then the last thing i got is this movie had a 28 million dollar budget and it made 141 million 
So what was the first number again? 28. Oh, okay. So needless to say, it was profitable. <laughs> Just a little bit. So, grades. Grades, yeah, grades. Um, IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think those are? Uh, IMDb. Let's go with uh, 8.9. Close. It's 8.2. Ooh, okay. Um, for critic on Rotten Tomatoes, 85%. 94. Okay. And I'll give you somewhat of a hint. It's something that we've never come across before. 94 for the audience? Yes. Oh, man. A time. I've wow. never seen that before. Yeah. So I figure I'll give my grade first because you have more experience with this movie. Okay. Like, I've seen this movie a handful of times. Probably, like, I would say this might be my fifth time watching it. Mm hmm. And, you know, I always enjoy it, but like I said, it's one of those movies, at least for me, like I kind of have to be in the mood to watch it because they have to devote so much time to it. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I love action movies, you know, I've said it about horror movies too, that I don't think any action movie or horror movie should be over an hour and 45 minutes long. <laughs> and this one's, what was it? Two hours and 12 minutes, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, because I remember looking it up. Because I remember being like, oh man, it's a long movie. But, you know, it does have some slow parts in it. Nothing seems to be like too wasted, so I don't think there's really much you can cut back from it. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's a longer movie that you have to sit through, so it's not one that I rewatch a lot. Mm -hmm. I still really appreciate it for what it is. Um... And I like the the fact that like you know John McClane isn't like this beefed up huge like Arnold Schwarzenegger as John Matrix and Commando style one man army, and it's more believable with the stuff that he does. And you know he's not taking out like five guys at once. He's or you know Arnold and Commando, where he's taking out like an entire army by himself. Uh, you know, he's already taken out. What is it? Seven guys. Uh, well, I think there was around like twelve to fourteen of them, and he okay. Uh, took out. Uh, well, no, I don't know. No, that was how many they were guessing. I think there was only like ten or twelve. Something like that. There wasn't very many, and he, you know, take out guys basically one on one. And yeah. Like, you know, some of the bigger guys like Carl, when he fought him, like. Carl's a lot bigger than him, like manhandled him quite a bit. Mm. But John is just like a pit bull and just kept coming after him. So, you know, he wore him down and was able to take guys out. So you always like that part. And he kept saying, uh, oh, I swear like two or three times, he's like, I'm going to kill you or something. Like Bruce kept on saying that. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember exactly <laughs> what it was. And I was just like, I, I, did they mean to have him repeat that so many times? <laughs> right. Oh gosh. But I don't when I came down to a grade, I'm like I can't it's such a good movie. It's so well done. Even though it's a little long for me. And I don't know, man. I, I couldn't give it anything less than a five. Rock. It's it's such a solid movie that like I felt even if I did like a four and a half, it would 
I don't know. I'd be like untruthful leaving it that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm uh, kind of on the same page with you too, where there, I mean, you know, I don't think we ever sit there and say there are perfect movies, but you know, this, this is a great one. It, it definitely goes on the longer side. And the, the things that I want to bring up is that um, not saying that these are negative points, but there's just so much going on because there's the dynamic of the relationship between um, McLean and his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the business dynamic going on that you're kind of absorbing, like what's going on with this company, this business. Um, and then there is, there are the terrorists. So, you know, the terrorists are doing something, but then there's the underlying plot of the terrorists that you don't know about for the whole time that you're trying to figure out. And then there's Powell with the police, there's the deputy with the police, and then there's the FBI. So that's multi-layered as well. So like just layers upon layers upon layers. Um, it's like an onion. Um, but it, uh, I, I mean, it's all good, but it's just, it's a lot. And that's yeah. where the two hours comes from. Um, so I, I agree with you too, though. I'm giving it a five out of five. Um, I don't really think that could be cleaned up necessarily. Um, but it, it is, it is a lot and you know, it, it would be kind of interesting to go back and experience it fresh for a first time to kind of remember, okay, was it too much? Like uh, how, what do you take away from it for your first experience trying to take all of that in? Yeah. Um, but I mean, for an action movie, uh five out of five and for a christmas movie definitely five out of five so (laughs) give it a 10 i buy that for a dollar oh yeah so well it's it's been a while since i've watched die hard too Mm -hmm. i think i've maybe only seen that one two or three times yeah i'm i always have a tough time remembering like differentiating two three and four uh different parts of them because i mean i know who's in who and what but yeah (laughs) they're all so much similar yeah like i've seen one a fair amount i've seen two a couple times i've never seen three really yeah i've seen four and i don't think i've seen part five you haven't seen die hard three with Samuel L. Jackson. No, I have not. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. There will be some parts that I will be very interested to hear your thoughts on. This will be one of the few times where you've seen a movie a fair amount that I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So it'll be a, a interesting dynamic. But yeah, next time we'll be talking about Die Hard 2, which is, if I remember right, Die Hard in an airport that's right and also i have to say if you really like die hard you can check out skyscraper with the rock because it's the same basic movie yeah unless you want john McClane is a big jacked up half black half samoan guy with one leg jumping in between buildings yeah it's pretty awesome though <laughs> i haven't i haven't seen that but i know it happens yeah you'll have to check it out But yeah, come back uh, next week and we'll be talking about Die Hard 2. And until then, as always, be kind and rewind.